Good morning again, and welcome to Alive Family Church. We're so glad to have you guys all joining us this morning. Y'all doing good? Awesome. Wasn't worship incredible this morning? Come on, let's give it up one more time for our worship team that just bring us into God's presence. I don't know about you guys, I get so much just out of that portion of service. But again, welcome uh, for all of our friends and family joining us online today. Welcome as well. We're so glad to have you here with us. We are wrapping this thing up. We are in our fourth and final week of our June series that we've titled In the Belly of a Whale. We've been taking an in-depth study of the book of Jonah from the Old Testament. Testament, taking one chapter each week. If you've missed any of these messages and you're curious where we've been, we're going to talk about it just in a second of recap, but uh, I encourage you, go back. We, we have all our messages on YouTube, on our Facebook channel, and uh, also uh, podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. Wherever you guys get your content, we should be there and showing up, and we really encourage you to go back through this, but uh, we've been following the story of the prophet Jonah this whole month, right? And in chapter one, we saw how God came to Jonah, and he said, go to Nineveh. And what was Jonah's response? No, right? He said no. And he hopped on a boat heading in the opposite direction to Tarshish, right? And uh, when they was on the boat and because of his disobedience, there was a storm at sea. And so the sailors, they threw him overboard and the storm calmed. And then a giant great fish we call the whale swallowed up Jonah. In chapter two, he spends the whole of chapter two in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. He, he cries out to God and the whale spits him back out on dry land. And then last week we looked at chapter three where we saw that Jen Jonah finally does go to Nineveh, how God told him originally, and he gives the message that in 40 days you would either be destroyed or 40 days you'd be forever overchanged and turned, right? And we see how the Ninevites fast and they cry out to God and they repent and they turn from their wicked ways and God relents from his destruction on the Ninevite people. And that's where we left off last week. And just by the show of hands, uh, how many of you guys have learned something new in this series the last few weeks if you've been here? I know I have. I've really enjoyed this study. Let me take it a step further. How many of you guys have been challenged or encouraged in your own relationship with God in this series, right? I think a lot of times we can find ourselves somewhere in this narrative of Jonah at some season of our life, and, and God's word's so good at leading us and guiding us. How do we respond and how not to do things and how, how we should really honor God in our lives and follow his word? And so uh, I've I just, I just been blown away. Uh, we, we had one of our volunteers the other morning, he's like, I don't know how we could preach for four weeks on Jonah, right? Like, usually Jonah's like a side note in, a, in one point of a sermon, right? And then we're done. Like, we spent a whole month on a book of Jonah, and it's really cool because the Word of God is living and it's active, amen? And we can always get something new out of it. What do we learn? Chapter 1, we learned that we should allow God's Word to lead our lives, amen? And to be obedient to that, right? We learned that there is always going to be a ship in life, heading in the wrong direction, amen? And there's always going to be room enough on that ship for us, right? And how, how we learned how running from God is never the answer, right? And we also learned from Jonah's example that disobedience opens the door to storms in our life and other people's lives. And in chapter 2, when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, we learned that, man, sometimes our problem is actually God's protection. Hello, right? That's a good one. I've been chewing on that one a lot, right? We learned that prayer can deliver us from some pretty low places in our lives and that repentance can bring you and I to a place and a position to fulfill God's mission for our lives. And last week, we, we, we just kind of camped out on two really powerful thoughts. The first one was this, aren't you glad that we serve the God of second chances? Amen. 
a God that gives us second, third, fourth, fifth, a million chances if we repent from a pure heart and turn from our wickedness and to him. And then we also learn that when we repent, God can relent. He can, he can remove destruction from our lives. Amen. And so at the end of chapter three, last week, we saw God's beautiful grace and his loving kindness as he poured out his mercy on the Ninevites and did not destroy them how he originally intended to. And man, it was just such a beautiful display. Like, like for most of us, if you didn't read the book, like it, everybody lived happily ever after. Amen. Right? Like that's how, that's how things should have ended. How many of you guys know if you read the uh, chapter four, that's not how the book of Jonah ends. Right? It's actually pretty jacked up. Let's take a look at it. If you've never read, read chapter 4, Jonah has a bad response to God's mercy and grace. Right, And, and he kind of gets called out on the carpet for it. And we have kind of some insight to him and God's uh, relationship. And so I believe that you and I, as well as the church as a whole, can learn a lot from this last chapter. That we shouldn't just sweep it under the rug and say, cool, we've learned most of Jonah, let's just be done. But today that the Holy Spirit and by God's word, he would wrap this thing up and tie up some loose ends and really lead us and challenge us and guide us as a body of believers of how we're supposed to respond to God's love, his mercy, and his grace. And so today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is this, Is It Right? Is it right? And we're going to wrestle with this question as we walk, look through Jonah's response and also look in our own lives how we respond to the mercy, grace, and love of God in our lives. Would you guys join me as we pray to open our hearts and minds before we read God's word together? Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence here with us, and we thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. It leads us and guides us. It's truth. It's powerful. It has the power to transform our lives and to renew our minds. And so, Father, we just lean into your word today. Let us look to your example of your prophet Jonah today. Help us learn what to do. Help us learn what not to do. Help us respond in the right way to your love, your mercy, your grace in our lives and other people around us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We're better for your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so, remember, at the very end of chapter three, just as a context recap here, the last thing that happened was God relented from destroying the, the Ninevite people, the city of Nineveh, right? And so we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to read the entire chapter real quickly here. There's just 11 verses, so just take us about a minute or two to get through all of it. And then we're going to really camp out on some things that I believe the Lord wants us to all glean from this and take away from this. So starting in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade. Till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come over Jonah, and it made it might be that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it damaged the plant, and that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a velvet east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die. Than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, Is it right for me? It is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on a plant. 
for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? The end. This is how the book of Jonah ends. Like, I, I don't know about you guys. Like, I read, I'm like, did, did I miss something? Did, is, did I get a misprint on my version? Like, like they forgot a page or like, it, that's it? Like, it just, it just ends like that? We don't even know how Jonah responds to God's last rebuke. Kind of leaves us hanging. Allows the Holy Spirit some room in our life today to say, Lord, what would you want us to glean from this today? As we mentioned in the very beginning, uh, Jonah teaches us a lot of lessons, right? And sometimes the best way to learn about something is to learn what not to do, right? <laughs> to learn from somebody's bad example or somebody's misstep, right? We learn a lot from Jonah's missteps, and I believe we can learn a lot from his missteps here today. Right off the bat here in the first few verses of chapter 4, I want to look back at verses 1 through 3 real quickly. I want to look at something. It said, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now, Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. This is Jonah's response to God's love and mercy on a wicked people. Now, you got to remember, contextually and historically, Nineveh is, at this time, the capital city of Assyria. Assyrian, the Assyrians were the enemies. They were public enemy number one of the Israelites. This is Jonah's enemy. And as we talked all along, Jonah didn't like his enemies, right? He doesn't want goodwill to happen to his enemies. But his response is very interesting. It says he was displeased, exceedingly displeased, right? He was mad. It says he got angry. He said it was better for him to die than to live, the Hebrew word for displeased, it means to burn with fire. Like, this man is on fire! Like, cue Alicia Keys, right? Like, he's mad. He's, like, angry, right? About God showing love and mercy to somebody else, his enemy. Someone say, is it right? Say it again. Say, is it right? Right? Come on, Jonah. Like, what are you doing, bro? Like, why are you acting like that? I think we're often really quick to point the finger at Jonah in his misstep and his response, yet very quickly on another, on another minute later, can we all sometimes find ourselves in the same situation as Jonah when it comes to our enemies? I mean, sure, hold on, go with me. I'm sure we're all amazing Christians in here, right? We, we don't like, we, there's no one in our life that we dislike. There's no one that ticks us off. There's no one that we wish we could have revenge on. There's no one that uh, like gets our bo blood boiling when we start hearing their name or what they've done to us in the past, right? There's no one that's ever hurt us in life. There's no one that's ever been against us, right? Right? Well, probably not exactly, right? If we're honest, we all probably have some Ninevites in our life. We all have some enemies in our life, people that have done us wrong or been out for our harm, some people that have hurt us, people that displease us, or the way they live their life makes us go, oh, I can't believe they live like that. I can't believe they believe like that, right? And that might be real, but I love God's question, is it right? 
is it right? That person has hurt you. That person has done you wrong. That person has slandered you. That person has spoken bad words to you. But is it right to wish destruction on them? God challenges Jonah and he also challenges us in Jonah chapter four, verse four. The Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And we're gonna wrestle with this question as we go throughout the remainder of my message here. I believe God's gonna work on our hearts this morning in this area. But although Jonah does miss it right off the bat, he does get something spot on about God's character, about God's nature, and about the God who we serve and the God that we worship. And that leads me to my first point. If you're taking notes today, number one, God is gracious, God is merciful, and God is loving. Amen? Jonah chapter one, or four, chapter four, verse one through three, it displeased him, he became angry. Uh, and then he says, therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah got something right, right off the bat here. He knew God's character. He knew God's nature. He knew that the God he served, the God that he worshiped, the God that we serve, and the God that we worship is a God who is gracious, a God who is merciful, a God who is so loving, amen? And he reveals to us that character and that nature of God that's so important for us to have a grasp on it, right? He knew, he said, he even confessed, Lord, the reason I didn't go to Nineveh in the first place, we always preach it because he was scared, they were really bad, wicked people. And we always preach it that way. But he actually tells us through the word of God that the reason he didn't go the first time because he knew God was gracious. He knew God was merciful. He knew God was loving. If he actually preached the word that God told him to preach, they would probably repent. And guess what? God would forgive them and he would not destroy them. And he wanted destruction on his enemies. Now, it's pretty low of Jonah, right? But pretty amazing about our God that we serve. Amen? Right? It's important that we all have the correct view of God the Father that we worship and serve because our view affects the way we approach God, it affects how we respond to God, and it affects how we treat and respond to other people and what God does in their lives, right? It's really, really important. I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with this, but I had a messed up image of who God was growing up. I knew of God, I never had a personal relationship with God, but I thought God was this old, grumpy, Man sitting on a throne with a long white beard and a baseball bat waiting to hit me every time I messed up. Time I said a swear word, watched a movie my mom told me not to watch, stole some Jolly Ranchers from the party store. He's just waiting to kill me. You know what I'm saying? All true things that I did. All right? As I got saved in college and I began to read the word of God and begin to experience a personal relationship with Jesus, not religion, but a, but a relationship, a God who loved me, began to learn about God's character. I became surprised that, and actually shocked that God isn't a mean God waiting to get me. He's not out to get us. He's for us, right? And I began to read scriptures like these that maybe they would minister to you this morning, depending on where your image of God is today. Scriptures like Psalm 103, verse eight, that says, the Lord is merciful, and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Scriptures like Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord has appeared to me of old, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. That is, love never runs dry, never runs out. Scriptures like Ephesians chapter 2, 4, and 5, where Paul says, But God, who is rich in mercy... 
Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. These things began to change my view. These scriptures and these truths change our view, the nature and character of God. God is not some grumpy, mean, and loathing God. He is a gracious, he is a merciful, and he is a loving Heavenly Father. Amen? And he is for you, not against you. God showed grace, mercy, and love towards the wicked Ninevites. So guess what? That means he can show it to you and I too. Because he's no respecter of persons. He, we serve the same God. And so if it changed the Ninevites' lives, changed their outcome, I'm fully convinced and fully in faith that God's grace, mercy, and love can change our lives. Already has changed our lives so much. And we'll continue to have the opportunity to change our lives. Amen. So what do you need today? Those of you, those that are here, those that are tuning online or watching this later, what do you need today? Do you need some unmerited favor? Do you need the grace of God? You don't deserve it. You definitely don't feel worthy of it. But you need some unmerited favor. The grace of God is here today. Do you need some pity and compassion from God? Maybe you've done something. You've blown it in a big way. You need the mercy of God. You need him to be merciful and not give you what you deserve. Amen. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't always give us what we deserve? Hello. Come on, somebody. We serve a God of mercy. Maybe you're here and you need love. You don't feel accepted. You don't feel valued. You don't feel treasured or cherished. You feel like no one would know if you're gone. We serve a God who gives unconditional love, not based on your performance, not based on how good a goody two-shoes you were this week or not, or how many Sundays you made it to church this sun, summer or not. He, he's not looking at any of that. He's looking at your heart. He loves you just the way you are. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knits you together. He's got a plan. He formed you on purpose, for a purpose. Hello. He's got a, he's got a destiny. He's got a call for your life. He's got good plans for your life. If you need love, we serve the God who is loving in this place today. Amen. Would you just receive it by faith? I'm going to paraphrase a couple more details to get us through the story here. So right after this encounter, Jonah obviously didn't want the Ninevites to experience any of God's grace, mercy, and love. So he's angry, right? He's like, ah! And so he goes on this hill, and he sits outside the city, and he watches. Probably secretly praying, Lord, I pray that you relent from your relenting. What does that mean? He wanted fireworks from Nineveh. He wanted Sodom, Gomorrah, hell, and fire and brimstone to fall down on that city and wipe them all out. But guess what? He just kept sitting there, right? And so he becomes this pouty prophet, right? Sitting on the hill, wishing evil on his, uh, his enemies, right? And that takes us up to verse 6. So let's look at verse 6, 6 through 11 to finish this out. Then the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was grateful for the plant, but morning dawned, and the next day God prepared a worm, and so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a velvet east wind, and that sun beat on Jonah's head, and he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said, Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. Someone say sassy. It's a little sassy response from Jonah, right? Do you, you talk to the Lord like that? I don't know. But the Lord said, you have had pity on a plant. 
for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. The second thing that I believe we can pull out of chapter four of Jonah is this. Number two, don't value your plant over people. Don't value your plant over people. It said that Jonah was very grateful for the plant. He was grateful for the shade. Yet the worm damaged the plant. Then the wind got going and Jonah got some bad sunburn up on his head. And he says, I want to die again. It's good for me to die, Lord, than to be alive because my plant's gone. He starts pouting. He starts getting sassy with God. God calls Jonah out for having pity on a plant, but not having pity on the people of Nineveh. Oh, man. And here's what I've learned in my short walk with the Lord is this. We must value and and esteem what God values and esteems. And you know what our Father God values more than anything? God values people. He values you and I over everything. God values people over status. God values people over money. God values people over material possessions and blessing. God values people over your comfort zone. God values people over the process. God values people. And we all have plants in our life that we like, that we love, that we cling to. And sometimes they distract us from the really thing that matters the most in our life, and that's the people that God has placed in our sphere of influence right in front of us that need God's love, that need God's mercy, that need God's grace. But we're so enraptured with our plants that we can't get beyond ourselves, right? What is your plant? Is there something in our lives that we give more value to? Is it our house? Is it our boat? Is it our gun collection? Is it our boss or our job or our vocation or our company? What is it? These are challenging things, all great things that God wants to bless us with our lives. But if those things were gone today, would we bless God or would we curse him? Will we praise God still or become the pouty prophet like Jonah and begin to complain about our plant? Yet God wants us to see beyond the plant and he wants to see the lives of the people that he's called us to reach, right? I've heard that said that this, there's only one thing that you and I can take to heaven with us. It's people, it's souls. The only thing we get to take to heaven with us is people, that is super challenging. Our real estate doesn't come with us. Our cars, our boats, our toys don't come with us. Our 401ks don't come with us. Our businesses don't come with us. They're all great. God calls us to do different things. The only thing that we get to take with us to heaven is people. God values people over everything. And and, and this is so challenging. Like a sobering thought, as I was meditating, as I was praying this week, I'm like, oh my gosh, what this means is the salvation of our greatest enemies is more important and more valuable than the things that make you and I happy in our lives. That's a sobering thought. Amen? The salvation of the most wicked enemy in our life is more important than the things we cling to, our plants that make us happy in life. We learn this from Jonah's example, his mistake, right? Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he said, but I say to you, one of the most challenging verses, But I say to you, us, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use 
and persecute you. That's powerful and challenging. And so, friends, who is God calling you to show the love of Christ to in this season of life? Who are the people that God has placed on your hearts? It's important for us to locate that because that helps us do the last and third thing that I see in this passage of scripture. Number three is we are to share the same love that we've received with others. God calls us to share the same love that you and I have received with others around us. Jonah, God asked Jonah three questions throughout the chapter four. We saw it. In Jonah chapter four, verse four, he said, then the Lord said, is it right to be angry? Then in Jonah chapter four, verse nine, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant, right? And then he asked him in chapter four, verse 11, and should I not pity Nineveh? What I would infer from my study is these are all three rhetorical questions. If you remember from English class, a rhetorical question means you already know the answer. The answer is a resounding no, Jonah. Is it right? No. Is it right? No, it's not right for Jonah to be angry about God's grace and God's mercy and God's love going towards the Ninevites. No, it's not right for Jonah to be more angry about his shade plant dying than about the well-being of his enemies, the Ninevites. And no, it's not right for God to look the other way and not pity Nineveh after they repented and, and, and were forgiven and turned back to God and did what the word of God says. So what happens here? God calls Jonah out on the carpet. He said, oh, Jonah, you really wanna talk about this? Like, are we really doing this right now? Are you really responding this way? Right, great book, amazing, delivered you out of the fish, they repent, like you should ride off into the, like, this is an epic, roll the credits, like what a hero Jonah is. He's having a hissy fit, he's acting like a little toddler, right? And being snippy and snooty and sassy with God. And we're getting a glimpse into their dialogue. God said, you really wanna talk about this? Jonah, I didn't give up on you when you gave up on me, right? I chose you, Jonah, even when you didn't chose, choose me. Woo. I rescued you from a deep, dark belly of a whale, and you don't want rescue for the Ninevites? Is it right? Come on, Jonah, is it right? God's getting real, and he's getting real with us because a lot of times we can act in the same way to people we don't like or people we don't trust or people that have wronged us or people that have hurt us. You know, the thing I, I think I love the most about chapter four of Jonah is that it really messes with us in a really good way. It presents us with two really important questions. They are this. The first thing is it confronts us with the question, are you okay with God loving your enemies? And just, you have to sit in that for a minute. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? And then the second, more deeper, challenging question is this. It confronts us with the truth that God does love his enemies. And sometimes we are his enemies on the way we treat other people that don't, aren't like us or that we don't agree with. This is super challenging, right? We can see the error in Jonah's attitude, right? He got pouty, he got snooty, right? He's like, oh God, I can't believe you did that for them. I can't believe you forgave them like you forgave me. I can't believe you showed love to them like you've shown me. I can't believe you gave them mercy like you've shown me. Do you see how hypocritical that is? Oh my goodness. And God's saying, yes, Jonah, 
Yes, I did, because I am a God who is gracious. I am a God who is merciful. I am a God who is loving. And guys, God calls you and I to share that same love that we've received with those around us. This is challenging. We're called to share the same love of God to those that don't go to our church or don't believe like us, amen? We're called to show the same love of Christ to those that don't have the same skin color as us or the same ethnicity and background and upbringing as us, same social economic status as us, don't live in the same size house or neighborhood as us. We're we're called to live in a way that shares the love of Christ with people that don't agree with the way we live our lives. Hello, we're supposed to call and love people that didn't vote the same way as us that don't agree with the response that the Supreme Court did this Friday than us. It doesn't matter. What matters is people, and we're called to love people, and God is love, and God lives in us, and so we have the all potential in heaven above to do what God's called us to do, yet we get in these little tiffs and these attitudes, I'll love people that I want to love, but I don't like to love them because I can't believe they believe like that. The Ninevites were a wicked and evil people. What they did was revolting and repelling, and, and it wouldn't make any of us feel good on the inside. We'd be like, you know what? I probably should love the Ninevites. So we, we can recognize and relate with where Jonah's at, yet see how God always calls us up to a higher place, amen? He always calls us up. Be a man and woman of God. Take the high road, which is really the low road, because we have to empty ourselves of our preference, of, of, of all the hurt and the pain and the shame that we've experienced, even by a person that God says, that is your enemy, and you're called to pray for them, and you're called to love them, and actually you can help reconcile them to a God that loves them by our response, by our attitude, by the way we live our lives. You see, the game changer verse for me when it comes to this stuff is in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans 5, 8. If you don't know it, get to know it. It said, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us while we were yet in our sin, while we were yet broken and messed up, while we're making horrible decisions, while we're on a boat heading in the wrong direction, 3,000 miles away from God's love and mercy. While we were still in that state, God said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my one and only son, Jesus, to die for you, to take care of that problem so that you could have a relationship with me. God loves us even while we're in our sin. God loves us while there's still Nineveh inside of us. He loves us. You see, we're all enemies from God apart from Christ. When I study my Bible and I read my Bible, I see that Jesus left us with the great commission, Matthew 28, not the great contradiction. Let me explain this. The great commission was go make disciples of all nations. That means all people. All people deserve God's love, mercy, and grace. Amen? The great contradiction is we're grateful for our own salvation, how God has lifted up us out of crap and put us on solid ground. But no, we don't want it for somebody else. Not people that live like that. Not people that vote like that. Not people that believe like that. No, I can't do that. God says all people, all nations are deserving of his love. And don't you know, man, God's love for you and I and for humanity is so patient. 
Isn't it so patient? Like uh, the scripture says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness and said he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Someone's like, God, why are, what, what's going on in this world? Why have you not come back yet? Why don't you just take us up out of this mess and get us up out of here right now? It's because he loves people. He's patient with humanity. He won't be patient forever, but he's being patient longer than he should because he loves everybody. He wants more to come to heaven with him. The kids and I were uh, running some errands this week. Eric was at the office. It was kind of me, dad day, school's out. And um, we went to a place called the Costco Gas Line. Have you ever been there before? Thinking it was the right time of day to where I could just scoot in. I've had a couple of those. Those are miracles, right? Like no line. The Costco gas line's like Disney World for cars. Like, do you got an hour to go get gas? What are we doing today? We're getting gas. Not gas and the store, no, just gas. Like, we're not sure if we'll have any time after that. So we, we get in the line, and we're there, and we're waiting, and we're, you know, kids are kicking my chair and doing all this fun stuff, and we're being dad and all that. We finally get up, and the two cars in front of us were filling up, and they pulled through. I was the next one, so rightfully, I want to make sure my dude behind me, who's been really impatient, I pull all the way through, right? But the, there was like this little cone out to the side of the pump, but it wasn't like blocking the pump, and it was there at the end of the last guy that was filling up. So me and my grace and my goodness, I'm like, I don't want this guy. I don't want to pull in the first one, and him you know, have to go around. So I pull up front and then this guy, this loving guy, I don't remember his name, this nice really vest that said Costco on it, said, sir, you can't use this pump. So what? The guy, uh, you know, I just, yeah, there's a cone here. I know, yeah, the cone wasn't really that far out. I, I saw him fill up. I just want to make sure my dude behind me got it. This is a busy line. We got to get through this. Yeah, I got a tanker coming to fill it up. I, I just closed three pumps. Man, I had a moment there. Kids are like, Dad, what are you going to do? The guy behind me is laughing. He's like, <laughs> he's talking to the guy. And I'm like, I get in my car and I have a decision to make as I pull out of there. Do I go down the road and pay 20 cents more per gallon? Or do I get back in line again? And my kids are watching me and they're watching my response. Dang it, right? You got to be a good dad, especially when you're a pastor. Like, it's even like more important. And so we pull around and we get in line again. And it got longer since we'd been there. It was out past the parking lot and dudes were like waving wands. And it's crazy. It's like, are they giving away gas for free? No, they're selling it at a ridiculous price. You know, it's like, let's get in line and get gas. And so we waited. And as I was praying yesterday, as I was prepping this message, the Holy Spirit was like, that's so God. Not what I did and nothing about me. I'll go around the line again. I'll wait in line again so that one person can get saved. I, I'm so patient. I'm so long-suffering that I'll wait a little bit longer to crack those clouds and let that trumpet sound happen and all my people will learn how to be Superman, all right? I'm going to wait just a little bit longer because there's so many people that don't know Jesus. There's so many people that need the love of Christ. And man, I, I, was, I was so moved with this. I was like, Lord, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your love. And I remember that that, that, res, that requires a response on our part. We get to partner with God in that patience. We get to partner God with him in this love. How many of you guys know Jesus called us to a rescue mission? We're on a rescue mission, right? Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
the enemies, the wayward, the wicked. He didn't come for the well, he came for the sick. Church isn't supposed to be some exclusive yacht club boat. It's supposed to be a rescue boat where we're going into rough seas and we're pulling people out of the water. We're dusting them off. We're saving them. We're throwing them out the lifesavers. Name's Jesus. We're bringing hope. We're praying for them. We don't care what they look like, what they're wearing, the color of their skin color, what their Democratic Party or Republican Party or their Independent Party or whatever they believe. We don't care about that. We know they're in trouble and they're sinking and they need saving. Amen? May Alive Family Church be a church where we love all people. Come on, somebody. Where we extend God's grace, mercy, love to all people because we've received the same love. We cannot be hypocrites and make judgment on who gets God's love and who doesn't gets God's love. We just need to share God's love and let him work it all out. He sees the inward. He sees the heart. We look at the outward and say, whoa, a little rough around the edges. Maybe, maybe no. Like, come on. We got to get over that. We got to get over our fear of that. We got to get over those, those religious ruts we get in. God told Jonah in verse 11 that there were 120,000 people in Nineveh that were lost. And we shared a lot around here that the reason why Alive Family Church was birthed wasn't because we thought this was a good idea or, you know, that we wanted to do this. It was really that God had called us to come out here and and, and the statistics at that time, it could even be worse. 62% of Livingston County does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. To put that in context, that's 115,000 people that don't know Jesus. They're on a ship, on a boat, heading in the wrong direction if the curtain calls today. That's like almost like Nineveh. That's like the same amount of people in Nineveh. God said, should I not have pity on this amount of people? God has pity, God has mercy, God has love. Guys, those are our neighbors. Those are your coworkers. Those are other kids, kids at your school. Those are parents, coaches, teachers. Those are business owners in our community, right? God loves all people and Jesus died for all people. May we be on mission to share that love. Here's what I've learned. If we've been radically rescued, then we're called by God to radically rescue somebody else, amen? If we've received the love, grace, and mercy of God, then we must extend it to somebody else, amen? May we be challenged to our core this morning that Jonah, even in the midst of missing it, can show us these lessons that we can take to heart. Challenging stuff, I know today but powerful in implication and practical application. God is graceful, he is merciful, and he is loving. If you leave with anything about who your daddy God is today, remember, graceful, merciful, loving. We also know that we're called not to value our plant, but to people. Let's give more value on human beings, on people, no matter how they treat us. And, and number three, let's share the same love that we've received with those in our lives. Would you go to God with me in prayer as we ask him to help us in all these areas in our lives as we close this series. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you that you are all those things. You've shown us all those things and you want us to show those things to those around us, even the ones that are against us, even the ones that want to hurt us or to harm us or to take us down or to slander us or to mock us for our belief or our stance, Father God. We thank you, Lord, for the love of God that's stronger than all of that. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we would stop valuing our plants over people. We'd stop valuing the comforts of this lifestyle over people who are needing a rescue. And Father, may we share the same love 
that we've received with those around us, Father God. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you'd get us off Jonah's boat and get us on the boat with you in our lives, Father God. We're heading to new places. We're sailing new seas with you. We're going to higher heights and deeper depths with you by faith. And Lord, we thank you. We receive it by faith. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I got one more thing real quick as we close this series. You want to know the real reason why I believe that the story of Jonah was real and it happened? It wasn't because as we studied in week one and two that it literally is physically possible for a human male to fit in the belly of a a sperm whale. It isn't because the archeological evidence has discovered paintings and pictures on walls back in Nineveh and ancient Assyria that they worshiped a God called Dagon, which was the fish God. And so God used the fish to get their attention so they'd immediately repent. It's It's none of that. The reason why I believe with all of my heart that Jonah isn't a fable or a good story to lead us to something is because Jesus believed it. Jesus referenced it. And if you never caught this before, let's bring this whole thing full circle. It will blow your mind. Matthew chapter 12, verses 40 and 41. Jesus says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, greater than Jonah is here. Let's break this down just for a second as we close. Jesus tells some of the religious leaders, some of the scribes, some of the Pharisees, they're asking Jesus for a sign that he is the Messiah. And he says, the only sign that I'm going to give you cats is the sign of Jonah. Jonah refers, Jesus refers to Jonah as a symbol of his own resurrection that's about to happen. This is powerful stuff. Jonah being swallowed by the whale. Jonah having been in the belly of the whale for three days. Jonah being spit back on land, resurrected, is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. Jonah is a type and shadow. When you study the Bible, there's there's types and shadows. What does that mean? Jonah points us, you and I, to the death of burial and resurrection of Jesus. This is powerful stuff. See, Jonah died figuratively in the belly of a whale. Jesus died literally on the cross of Calvary through crucifixion. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. How many of you guys know Jesus spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth? He went down to hell and the grave and took all that power for us and paid our penalty for sin. And Jonah was spit out or resurrected onto dry land and began to preach repentance to the Gentiles. How many of you guys know Jesus was resurrected on the third day? Come on, somebody, right? And he, through his apostles, through his prophets, through us, is preaching repentance and salvation to the Gentiles still. Do you see the parallels? The reason why Jonah is such a captivating story and book is because it points you and I to Jesus. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets, every book of the Old Testament preaches Jesus. Every book of the New Testament preaches Jesus. It always has been and it always will be about Jesus. If you're here today and you're desiring a personal relationship with God the Father in heaven, you don't need Jonah, you need Jesus. 
Amen. You need Jesus. Jonah pointed to Jesus, the one who went low for you, the one who resurrected for you, the one who can put you back up and lift your life up out of the pit and put you on solid ground, the one who is full of grace, the one who is full of mercy and full of love and values you over everything, who died for you and loves you and wants a relationship with you. His name is Jesus. It's time to get off the boat heading in the wrong direction. It's time to get on God's boat and head in the the right direction. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes out of reverence of this moment as we close this series and today? Father, we thank you for your presence here. And Lord, I just want to ask this. I never end a service without this invitation. There's someone here, both in person or maybe you're tuning in online and you don't know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior. You never called upon the name of Jesus, invited him into your life, never gotten on his boat. Lord, you've already done everything you're going to do to provide salvation for eternity for us. It's our job to receive that free gift by faith. We do that by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts that God, you raised him from the dead. The Bible says we would be saved. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around today. If that's you and you wanna be included in this prayer of faith to invite Jesus into your heart, don't be ashamed about this. This is the best moment of your life. Would you just slip up your hands so I know who I'm praying with today? Thank you, Jesus. And we're a family church here, so I'm just gonna pray a prayer of faith and salvation. Would you guys all just repeat this after me? Say this, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. I receive him as my Lord and as my savior. Jesus, come into my heart, change my life, and help me live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. So let me give the Lord a shout of praise in his house this morning. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter and Jesus is alive.